Welcome back to another Errant Fox podcast. This is Brian Schneider, uh, chair of Errant Fox's Nonprofits and Associations Group. And with me today for part two of our discussion about the remote work in a post-COVID world is Alexandra Romero. Alex is an expert on labor and employment issues, and she and I have been working a lot with our clients, as have a lot of the Aaron Fox team, on how do you manage employee issues with the post-pandemic world coming up on us? How do you bring employees back to the office? Or uh, what we're going to talk about today is how do you manage uh, legally uh, employees working remotely. If a lot of your workforce is going to stay out of the office on a permanent basis, will they be distributed around the country or whether they, they'll be able to come into a shared space on a temporary basis? So we're going to go through some top questions that our clients have been asking us and talk through it with you. Alex, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure. So Alex, just as a big background starter question, right? So what are the, really the top considerations that employers need to think about when they're managing employees who are working from home? So there are a lot of different considerations to think about when you have employees working remotely, especially when you have employees who are working remotely from different locations where you don't have office space. So one of the first things you'll want to do is make sure that you're complying with all of the unique labor and employment laws that may be in place in the states and even the cities where employees are working remotely. For example, one of the most important considerations that you have to look at is whether or not you are complying with the wage and hour laws that are in place in the different jurisdictions where you have employees. Different states have different minimum wages. Some of them, like California, have different ways of calculating when overtime is due. And unique little quirks like requirements about meal and rest break. And also a lot of different states and localities have their own paid leave laws. So you want to make sure that when you have employees working remotely, you know where they're working from so that you can ensure that you're in full compliance with the legal obligations in those jurisdictions. And one of the most important things when it comes to wage and hour law compliance in particular, is that it can be a lot more difficult to monitor when employees are working and how much they're working when they're not coming into the office every day. So you want to make explicitly clear to employees who are non-exempt from overtime requirements that they have to record all of their hours worked, even if you know they may have a different schedule than they typically do when they're working in the office. Interesting. So it really sounds like if your employees are working remotely, particularly in other states, that you really have to think as though you have an office in that state. Exactly right. Um, because a lot of these different state and local laws, you know, they have different thresholds for coverage. So for some of them, it may be that you don't have to comply because you only have, you know, one or two employees working in that state when, you know, the relevant laws require you to have at least five or 10 who are present. But in a lot of cases, that's exactly how you do have to act is if you actually have an office in that jurisdiction and making sure that you're checking and that you're, you know, complying with what you need to comply with. And you mentioned making clear to employees about recording all their time properly. Do you see your clients setting up formal agreements with their remote work employees, formal policies that sort of manage how the expectations are to work or remote work? Yeah, so that is a very common approach. And that was something that a lot of companies were doing pre-pandemic. You know, they may have had policies or programs in place where people could work remotely on certain occasions and they'd set up individualized agreements with that person, spelling out clearly what the expectations are. Now that so many more employees are working remotely, that may not be a feasible 
approach. It's hard to draw up individualized agreements for every single person who's working remotely. But nonetheless, you know, we still recommend that employers establish some type of a policy that lays out what expectations are for employees who are going to be working remotely. For example, clearly stating the hours that they're expected to be online and available, clearly stating expectations about whether or not they're allowed to work overtime if they're not exempt, and addressing other issues like data security and how they have to ensure the security of the employer's information in a remote location, and other considerations like making sure they have an appropriate and safe you know, home or remote workspace set up. What about requiring folks to come into the office on some routine basis? You know, if, if we've got a remote work policy, can we require them to come in every Wednesday for lunch meeting? Yeah, so generally speaking, the answer is yes. You know, attendance is in many cases considered to be an essential function of certain positions. I mean, there may be some where this is particularly the case, where there are tasks that are not easy to perform remotely. Or, you know, for example, if there's someone who's managing a team of employees and those employees are working in the office, you know, it's reasonable to expect that the manager has to be working in the office as well. But there are a couple caveats to that. As we continue through the pandemic, there may be circumstances where you have to accommodate individuals with disabilities who feel uncomfortable or unable for medical reasons to return to the workplace. But in all cases, you know, where you're making decisions to allow some people to come into the office or require some people to come into the office, but not others, you always want to make sure that you can really articulate a clear business reason why you're making a particular decision in a particular case. So I assume then, for example, that you could make a distinction on job title. So, for example, front desk receptionist might be required to come in, but someone with another job title might not. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a very common way that we see this being done is that employers are looking at, you know, the actual functions that employees are performing and determining whether there are some things people are doing that really just can't be done in a remote environment. Being a receptionist is a really great example of that. And then there are other jobs where, you know, this pandemic has taught us that there are ways that those functions can be performed remotely. But it's incredibly important where some people are working remotely and others aren't that, you know, administering these telework or remote policies is done on a consistent basis and always linked to some type of a business justification. So if folks end up with a truly distributed workforce, and maybe you've got now employees all over the country, how do they think about paying folks costs to come into the office if they need them to come in occasionally? Yeah, so this is another area where it's really important to check out the unique state or local laws that might apply here. Some states have pretty strict requirements regarding what types of expenses have to be reimbursed by the employer. California is one of those states. Illinois recently passed a law addressing work-related expenditures. And so there are situations where if you allow an employee to work remotely, but still require them to return to the office, even if they are coming back over a long distance, the employer may be obligated to reimburse the employee for those costs if it's a requirement that's imposed by the employer. And how about for salary? I've had clients ask if I hire someone who lives um, in a rural area and they don't need to come into my city office anymore, can I pay the local market salary for where they live? Are there things that folks need to consider when they think about compensation? Sure. So generally speaking, if you're hiring someone as an at-will employee, you can set their salary however you deem appropriate, assuming that you're not otherwise violating some type of existing employment obligation. So for example, you will always want to be careful that 
you're making compensation decisions, you know, as we talked about, based on really clear business related reasons to ensure that you're not creating a scenario that may result in some type of a disparate impact on employees of a particular protected class. But generally speaking, if you're basing those decisions on something like locality, that's a pretty solid justification in a lot of different cases for providing a differential salary than you would if they're working in your office in a city with a much higher median wage rate. That's helpful. So real quick, one last question before we let you go. You know, a lot of folks, both employees and employers, tend to mix remote work with flex time work. And I'm wondering how you've addressed that with your clients. Sure. So that's an issue that's come up a lot throughout the pandemic, particularly as people have been dealing with situations where schools are fully remote. And so they may have children at home who require supervision at sometimes during what would otherwise be a normal work day. So we have seen employers starting to be you know, pretty flexible with when employees are expected to be reachable and working. So whatever decisions are made on that front, always important to spell out in advance what the expectations are. And if someone is working a non-traditional schedule or adapting their hours, I'm making sure that that's all spelled out up front so that there are no miscommunications or misunderstandings about what's expected. And it's also important to remember that the decisions that employers make now oftentimes serve as a precedent for situations that may occur in the future. So it's always just important to remember that if you're allowing a certain amount of flexibility for employees, in one case, it may mean that a situation may arise in the future where the way you acted in the past could be considered guidance for what you have to do for future requests. Sounds like you are going to be quite busy drafting a lot of policies for folks. I wish you the best of luck with that. All very interesting considerations to help folks through. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for answering the questions today. Thank you, listeners, for joining us again for an Eric Fox podcast. This is Brian Schneider and Alex Romero. We'll talk to you again soon.